Dear human, dear soul, I welcome you to my podcast series, Messages from Beyond. Since a near-death experience, I have had the gift of communicating with the subtle levels of the cosmos, in a form of deep meditation in which I ask certain beings from the other world to communicate with me. As one of the first contacts to the afterlife, my old friend and teacher, friend of the Indians, showed himself to me. And it is now a great pleasure for me to introduce you to the conversations here as a supplement to the books. Please excuse me if the terms and our articulations are not perfect. Our mother tongue is German, but we try to translate it to the best of our ability. Thank you for understanding. Dear friend of the Indians, please start telling me what you would like to say on the subject of enemies of life. The enemies of life are entities that do not live growth and unfolding as their goal of life, but instead constriction and confinement. There is a cosmic law that forbids interfering with life forms in terms of accelerating their growth without asking for cosmic permission. What I mean by that is that if entities remain in a state of powerlessness and lack of connection, then these must not be subject to acceleration via other entities. Which means that all the positive forces of the universe are forbidden to interfere when such negative forces hold sway. This law is a result of the free will that must be accepted and respected by all energies. No one can interfere unless he has been asked to do so. This means that you alone are responsible for the energy that you all are. Please tell me more about what enemies of life actually means. The enemies of life take a number of different approaches. Some want to experience power by murdering people. Others want to experience power by destroying many animals. Others again commit suicide. Although fine distinction exists in the latter case, The problem is not the experience of ending the life in question, but the experience of the life task. What I mean to say by that is that every kind of murder, even the killing of oneself, will have negative rever reverberations. In that, is that a fact of a law? Why is this so? This is so because the cosmic energy wants to create life. And it is only life itself, as an expression of the power of the source, that can decide when to leave the form, but not the being inside of this form. This decision would violate the law of permission which supports life in the cosmos. Whoever destroys life disobeys this law and will embark on a long path of cleansing in order to understand and to balance out the deed committed. The form, that is, the form that this balance will take cannot be prescribed. Each and every energy walks its own individual path 
and no other has ever walked the same path before. Therefore, I would just like to point out that there are first of all enemies of life, human beings who destroy other lives. And I would also like to point out that it is not up to us to judge the fates of others, but that this will be handled by the cosmos itself. Only the cosmos itself may disregard the permission not to interfere. Love is the power that is supposed to lead us, not sadness, not separation. If you destroy life, you separate the flow of nature from the flow of the cosmos. If you break this law, it means that you send out many powerful negative impulses that all have to be balanced out. So to sum up, there are some people who are in a state of low energy. There are people who do not experience a lot of connection because of this and there are always people who want to destroy life because of this. If they do this, then they are breaking a great and holy cosmic right. A holy cosmic law, right? Yes. Then let us ask about this in great detail. We have to be very detailed. What, for instance, this question presents itself, what happens to an entity like Hitler, who has killed a great number of people because of some belief or other? Is such a person an enemy of life? Yes. He was a massive power of life destruction. Now he will need many, many cleansing transformations in order to balance his actions. But when he has undergone this transformation, his energy will be permitted to expand again. But I cannot answer the question as to his balancing process. What about the many soldiers who acted in his name? Are they also enemies of life? No. These people were tools of the one entity that led them. Therefore, they are not enemies of life. Enemies of life are people who act consciously and make conscious choices about whether they kill or not. People who follow these orders do have the choice not to comply, on the one hand. But the cosmos can differentiate between and recognize an active life-threatening energy and a mere subversive energy. Okay. I understand, and that makes sense. Let's carry on. People have to eat, and sometimes they will kill animals in order to eat. What about that? Are people who kill animals also enemies of life? This is a very difficult question. Because here you have to make very fine distinctions. People will not necessarily become enemies of life, just by killing animals in order to survive. This is the circle of life. But some people kill in order to produce masses of meat, which then has to be thrown away again, and so a vicious cycle begins. Those people may follow the orders of the people who lead these institutions, yet they do create an abundance of suffering through their killing. What exactly do you mean by that? They kill too much. And this too much begins to create an imbalance. And this imbalance has to be 
rectified by the people themselves and not just by their leader. I don't quite understand this, dear friend of the Indians. These are also just people, just like the others who have killed their fellow humans by order of a leader. So why are these people responsible while the others aren't? It is a question of the energy involved. Murdering helpless beings requires a very specific energy. The human who kills his fellow humans by order of another human being is at war and under exceptional circumstances. A human being who kills helpless animals that cannot defend themselves, that have no way to communicate nor the necessary power to defend themselves, is far more actively involved than the servant who acts under orders from his master, who serves a system. Still, there are many, many people who work in such a factory where many anim animals are killed. But they have no chance, no choice, because otherwise they would make no money. Maybe there is no other factory far and wide where they could work. Maybe. But it is a question of the energy that drives you. And if you do not move away from such places, then you live inside of an energy that creates negativity, and you will become part of it. The responsibility lies with you. This is exclusively the case when people act towards defenseless beings. So you mean to say that there is a difference whether you kill many people under orders from a group or a system or whether you kill many animals where the problem of defenselessness <laughs> defenselessness also comes into play that is correct i also meet people again and again who say for instance that it is okay to stone somebody or if people have chosen a specific religion that they have to live with the fact that they might be hung for a crime or put on an electric chair etc. What about these points? For the most part these people are contaminated and not connected. They do not know what they are saying. They do not know the energies that would experience if they really did what they said. As long as they only talk there is no real responsibility. These people will only have to carry responsibility if they act according to what they said. The people who do the stoning will become enemies of life. The people who act as judges in order to condemn people to death, just like you mentioned, will also become enemies of life. They exercise their power by giving death to another person. This is a decision made by a human and not by the cosmos. Okay, but condemning people to death, for example by electric chair or the like this fellows, the law that people have made, and there are many who will say that these laws are part of life, that these laws are part of mankind, and because of that they are also part of the cosmos. This is wrong. You cannot regard the laws made by humans as higher than the laws of the cosmos. It is not the human beings that create life. It is the cosmos. And only the cosmos may take a life when the time is right and when the body has lost its strength. Dear friend of the Indians, are there many people who are enemies of life? 
Yes. Can you Unfortunately. Me, can you give me a percentage? I know that it is a probably difficult for you, but you see the earth and you can see humans as an energy. How do you perceive the enemies of life? The enemies of life are feeble, tumbling energies that rob luminous people of their power like vampires. As you would say, they are energies that life power and lovelessness and want to experience more of this. They do not even know the desire for light and life. That is the problem of their feebleness. Their vibration is so low, their consciousness is so low, that it does not even have the strength to feel love in the first place. These entities are ultimately very dangerous, because they live like parasites without giving. This begs the questions why souls would choose such a path in the first place. That is a good question. But the cosmos is manifold and it does not judge. It loves, and if you cannot perceive this love, you are not connected as well as you could be. But you live and with that you have the possibility to change this form whenever you will. The cosmos does not judge. But I thought the cosmos does assess, but only the souls pass judging, judgment on themselves. The cosmos does not judge. It provides the platform that you all are in order to act in connection, or not, as the case may be. Okay, and that is why I ask the questions. How many beings are there that are enemies of life? And how many beings there are not? Because if there are more enemies of life than not, we will have a problem on one day. <sighs> that is true. But the ratio is still balanced. There are also always enemies of life who want to begin the path of love. Then they become life-supporting energies again. But this may take a long time with regard to your timeline. This is a game where no score is being kept, Sylvia. Well, but when you live in this world where it is sometimes very painful to meet people who may be enemies of life, then you quickly get sucked into judging. And this is quite natural. I think this very human, simply because it hurts. Is there anything that we can pass on to the people, apart from the fact that they are fully responsible for everything they do, and that every one of their actions is so vitally important? Is there anything that you could pass on to them so that they may not become enemies of life but supporters of life? You support life by turning towards life another way from it. It is a very rewarding experience, full of energy and beauty, full of love and light and just warm. The path of the enemies of life is cold and hard. I myself cannot see when or how it happens that a soul chooses this path. You may ask another entity about this. But it is very important to me that you know that there are such energies that such life forms can come into being and that you can and should protect yourself from them. Look at human beings as if they were a flower. If they willed, shower them with love. And there is hope that you can bring the power of life back into them, 
so that they will not turn into an enemy of life. Love heals everything, even these lost souls. If you meet people who have become loveless and feeble, then give them love. At last try this for a little while, but if the flower continues to wilt and wilt, walk away from these beings. What you would like to say is that if you notice somebody turning away from the light, that you should give him further impulses of love and loving energy. But if you then realize that this does not make any difference because this person does not even perceive the loving impulses or even turns them against the person giving them or steals his energy, that you should immediately and quickly beat a retreat, right? Yes. You can really put these things into words very well. Complex subjects are difficult for me. Yes, I understand this. Okay, what message do you have for mankind? Apparently, we are seven billion people here now, or maybe already eight. Nobody really knows exactly, because it is difficult to count in certain areas. Anyway, these people all need food. I would like to come back to this subject, because it really is a difficult subject, in many in my opinion. What would you say, what would be the best form of life in your view, apart from the fact that there should be no wars in which people are killed needlessly? What is, in your opinion, the best form for mankind to live in so that it will not create animal animus of life? This would be a form in which you treat each other lovingly and warmly. In which you act in a luminous and connected way. Where you only kill the animals that you need to kill and not thousands more. The people who do so act in the consciousness of love. They know that they take away the power of one life to give to another. By praying over the energy leaving the body by releasing it back to the cosmos in the spirit of gratitude, these people would be able to give it even more momentum. These people would be priests who treat these animals luminously and responsibly. That would be my wish. And when, for example, people accidentally kill other beings, something that happens again and again, what would you advise to be? Advise to be? Then they should give thanks for the experience they received and accelerate the energy back into the cosmos by praying over it lovingly. Let's say them words like I thank you for your life and I ask the cosmos to receive this energy into its sacred halls. May it carry on along its path full of strength and well protected in love and light. I ask this. Thank you, love. So this is a kind of prayer that you suggest to people that they say it when they have accidentally harmed other beings, right? That would be very good. Because accidents do happen sometimes where humans and also animals die and then they should say such things, right? Yes. That would be very important. Because you are also responsible for the being whose strength you have taken. You can balance this action in the very moment it happened by sending love after it and by performing the seal. 
By this you mean that they say such a phrase that seals this action with loving and grateful energies, right? Yes, that is correct. The end should always be a loving conclusion, full of gratefulness for the abundance of the cosmos, which is eternally conscious of the fact that we are all connected. And when an energy departs, and we are responsible for this, then give thanks. And what if people act in the name of their supposed stipulated gods, and they are convinced that they are doing a good deed when they commit murder in this name? The people who murder in the name of the God that they pray to are enemies of life and will have to do much balancing. The people who live like that are contaminated and loveless and will not experience paradise after their transition. Instead, they will embark on the path of balance and that means many, many further incarnations with many, many risks of further contamination. What singles these people out is their exemplary perception after they have left this body, because they will not perceive the cosmic energies as abundance, but as the lack that they have created. Wow. Would you like to say something else? Much has already been said, but the subject is very complex. I could talk about this for a very long time, especially about the people who do not know what they are doing when they kill, regardless whether they kill human beings or animals. I have other questions about this that maybe sound a little funny, but it concerns us all. When we find bugs at home, <laughs> in places where we do not want them, and when we then kill them, what happens then? Is this also another fatal violation of law, or how should we look at this? The size of the being does not determine the size of the violation. The people have not got permission to commit murder just for the sake of murder. This is only permissible in order to get food and even then only within reason. Therefore, please, please, please try to develop your consciousness so that you always and always know what you are doing. And whenever you kill a living being, and be it ever so small, it is always a violation. The cosmos will demand balance, sometimes more, sometimes less. Dear friend of the Indians, I would like to avoid getting into the scenario where people have so far tended to trust the subject of, the subject of guilt and hence responsibility upon institutions. One of our modern religions, for instance, <clears throat> teaches original sin. But I feel that it is not right to think like that. Please try to explain a little bit more where culpability for killing and responsibility begin and how far-reaching they are. Is in the cosmos that blames you? Is it the cosmos that blames you? Or how would you describe this? It is not the cosmos that blames you, dearest. It is a cleansing a reckoning that you yourselves perform when you have become contaminated. It is not the cosmos that judges like this, nor is the cosmos that blames you. The cosmos sees, but it is you who judge yourselves. That is very important. The cosmos does not judge. The souls 
judge. The cosmos observes and allows you to choose. That is the essence. The people judge and ultimately it is the people who blame themselves. When they contemplate their actions in the state of transition, in death, then they will also learn about the reverberations and this will make them judge themselves. But this judgment is still based on the experience of life and this experience will grow further and purify. So please, tell the people that it is not we who judge them, but you who judge yourselves. Not during your lives, but in the state of transition, when you realize the reverberations of your actions and hands, see your deeds in a different light, the light of truth. I know I digress, but why do you call it the light of truth? The light of truth is the experience of wholeness. These people feel for the first time, after a long time spent in a body, how exactly they were connected to their other beings and their own actions at every moment of their lives. This sensation compels them to judge their deeds and their actions during their lives. But by then, they are no longer able to change anything. This is why it is so important to me that you hear these words right now and that you live in consciousness and light. That you know that you can balance your action every day in every moment of your lives. You only have this possibility while you are incarnated, never without a body. This is why a being that has been an enemy of life may need many, many incarnations in order to balance out their actions, while others in the same timeline may have many beautiful experiences and thus spurred on can expand their souls. Well, would you like to say something else about this? We have captured the most important things. I am content thus far. Then what would be our next subject? Desire. Why desire? Desire is an energy that lives on long after the body is gone. So even the souls experience desire? Oh yes, my dear. Really? You have to distinguish here. I do not mean sexual desire. I mean the desire to live. Ah, okay. Can't wait. Thank you. Love. Thank you. Love.